So Money episode 1597, Brad Barrett, co-founder of Chooseify on small steps for big savings and redefining fire. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. The financial independence movement and fire, you know, when it was maligned is it seemed like this deprivation. It just seemed like it was all about just cutting to the bone and just racing towards some number on a spreadsheet or on a screen. And that's no way to live a life. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Monday, November 27th. Hope everybody had a restful and easygoing Thanksgiving. Is it just me or was the post-holiday shopping season kind of slow? We went out for Small Business Saturday, very little foot traffic compared to previous years. I don't know, is everybody just shopping online? Is everybody just done with their spending in 2023? And if you are looking to save money, this episode is a good one. I've got Brad Barrett on the show today. You might remember Brad. He was on the podcast before the pandemic. He's also an incredible financial expert. He's the co-founder of Chooseify, which is one of the top financial podcasts, a massive online platform for learning about FIRE, financial independence, retire early. Brad and his wife reached FIRE in their 30s. And when he was last on the show, he talked a little bit about that path and how the couple was able to save a million dollars in 11 years. So now we're catching up with Brad. He's got some new ideas and views on the FIRE movement. His approach to earning and financial independence personally has evolved, and I wanted to learn about that. Brad also shares some of his best tips small steps for saving big money. And I'm actually looking into one of the cost reductions he recommends. Yes, me. All right, here we go. Here's Brad Barrett. Brad Barrett, welcome back to So Money, co-founder and host of Choose FI podcast and platform where you're really encouraging everybody to get on this fire bandwagon, financial independence, retire early. You when you were last on this show, talked about your own journey to millionaire status, fire status. I want to revisit that, but also catch up because it's been a pandemic. And I think (laughs) as we were saying before we came on the show, you've had a little bit of a philosophical change as far as how you approach work and money and just life. And I kind of agree. But first, welcome back, my friend. It's great to reconnect. It is so good to be back here. Thank you so much for inviting me. And listeners, I was on Choose FI talking about a healthy state of panic, which I have to say, Brad, you you not only liked it, you loved it. You loved the book. You read it. Page page Turner for you. (laughs) Um, How has fear been a force in your life, I guess? I didn't get to ask you this question on on your podcast, obviously, but- I think why why I love the book so much is it just it spoke to me. I it spoke to my soul truly and and I think I think it's easy to bemoan things that you think are wrong with you in life and not then look at hey what is the superpower of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that was what was so beautiful about about your book and and yeah I mean I've I've always been limited I think in my own mind of, with fears just fears of fitting in, fears of not being good enough, fears of, you know, just 
everything. Fear is a sa- literal safety. Like, mm-hmm. and and I don't think I've ever done enough inner work on it, to be honest, to to really grasp why. Where did they come from? Why why are they there? And yeah. and reading your book really helped me kind of start that that. I mean, start down that road, I guess. And so, yeah, that was hopefully the first of many steps. But but yeah, it really, it deeply spoke to me. Hmm. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. I mean, especially coming from you, somebody who has achieved so much in his financial life and in his career and in his personal life. Last year on the show, we talked about your comeuppance into the FIRE movement and becoming a, a real sort of spokesperson for FIRE, financial independence, retire early. I talk about that in the book too, and how while it is this potentially great achievement, for some people, it's not the right move. It's not the right move. It, it There's FOMO around, okay, well, if I want to be financially independent, I have to do it this way. I have to be extremely frugal. There's sort of like, there was a script for this. Yeah, We have yeah. many scripts now for FIRE. But when you pursued it, what was the desire, the initial desire. And, and, and and be honest, like, were there, were there times where you're like, this is really hard. I don't know why I'm doing this. You and your wife managed to save a million dollars in 11 years, a hundred thousand more dollars, X plus dollars a year. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot of not eating certain things and not doing certain things I would imagine. It is. No, it certainly is. And yeah, I mean, there's so much there furniture. I suspect we could talk the rest of the podcast just on, on what you asked me in the last couple of minutes. But yeah, I mean, I think f- my mindset has changed entirely just, you know, coming to the the broad, the broad point of this. Uh, I think the entire community's mindset has changed, which I think is wonderful. I will get to your specific question in a second, but I think the... F- as you're saying, financial independence retire early. I think one of the things that I'm proudest of that that Choose FI has done is really take the focus away from the RE. Because I think the retire early is such a distraction for people. And it kind of just sucks up all the oxygen in the room, right? It becomes like this distraction of, oh, this is just lazy people who want to run away from things, right? They just want to sit around and retire early and that's that. And like, I just find that, I, I just totally disagree with that, frankly. I, I can't imagine there are many people, if any, that have the wherewithal to reach financial independence at any point in their life, early, late, whenever, who are just going to sit around and do nothing. So, I mean, we focus on that RE so little. It's just the universal good of financial independence and pursuing financial independence, however you define that. And I think that's that's something we've been very diligent about is you get to define what your path to FI looks like. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, since you asked about, about my path specifically, you know, it, it's hard because I think with the benefit of hindsight and with the benefit of the psychological place that I'm in now after reading a book like Die With Zero by Bill Perkins or reading the article, The Tail End at the, the website, Wait But Why, and realizing, Farnish, we were talking about this before we jumped on about our kids getting older mm-hmm. and realizing that literally every year you spend with your child from zero to 18, according to this article uh, on The Tail End, the tail end by uh, Wait But Why, it's 5% of the time you will ever spend with them literally a full 5% each year. So by the time they get to 18, they graduate, graduate high school, you're at 90%. Farnoosh, mm-hmm. 90%. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. So, I mean, and if you think about it, that actually makes sense. You don't want to think about it because it's really, really sad, right? Yeah. But think about your kids. And when I think it's easy to get lost in the sadness of that, but I choose to look at it of, oh, wow, I still have all these years. I need to maximize this. So when my daughter, who is a roller coaster crazy enthusiast, wants to talk, talk to me about roller coasters at 9.30 at night and I'm really <laughs> tired, I say in my head, I have a thousand more nights with her before she goes to college. A thousand more nights. So again, it's easy to say with the benefit of hindsight that I was a little too extreme on my path to FI. But in the moment, Farnoosh, I d- it didn't feel that way. It didn't feel like we were depriving ourselves. It felt like we were living a wonderful life. We were just being a little bit smarter with money. We were the skill of spending, as we like to call it. I think mm. we were getting, we were honing that skill and it didn't feel, it didn't feel bad. It didn't feel like deprivation to me at all. One of your very recent episodes on Choose FI is about frugality and how to balance what you call smart, sort of smarter spending. Frugality gets a real bad rap. And I think for a good reason. I mean, I think maybe it's like the word budget or the word, you know, it's like, it's very triggering. And it, 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 we think of a certain person doing certain things with their money that's very extreme. And yeah, it's still something that runs rampant in the personal finance community. There's a lot of frugality idolizers and frugality philosophers. And, you know, how do you, how do you balance the smart spending or slash you know, frugality on the one end of the spectrum, smart spending on the other with all of your other financial pursuits, like buying a home and sending your kids to college and planning for retirement and also enjoying your life, which might include a few vacations. What what was the sort of outcome of that episode that for you was really compelling when you talked about frugality with your guests, which who, by the way, if you're looking for some frugality experts, Jen and Jill of the Frugal Friends is who you had on that show. Yeah. And they're great. They absolutely go to them for all your budgeting tips, all your frugality tips. Yeah. I mean, again, like I said a couple of minutes ago, I, I'm torn. Because, because I've had an, an evolution as my FI journey has gone on. So the place where I am right now is probably the spendiest I've ever been. Because I think I'm, I'm realizing I want to allocate my spending during these finite years I have with my daughters. And I think that's okay. I think that's what's wonderful about personal finance and FI is you get to decide. And, and I know that just sounds almost self-evident, but, but it's really not. It's, there's no path. There's no specific path. Like you said, I think the financial independence movement and fire, you know, when it was maligned is it seemed like this deprivation. It just seemed like it was all about just cutting to the bone and just racing towards some number on a spreadsheet or on a screen. And that's no way to live a life, right? I mean, who wants to live like that? That, that makes no sense to me. And I think I think every person has to find that that line for themselves and hopefully they can figure out where the spending actually adds value to their life. And I think that that's kind of my mantra is mm-hmm. find what you value and don't just do things unconsciously because society has told you this means you're successful, right? Living in X house or driving Y car, right? Like that means you're successful. I think you have to realize there's a finite pot of money that you're Mm -hmm. bringing in every month. Now, obviously, 
you can always earn more. You can negotiate. You can go to a different job. Like there are clearly strategies for that. But realistically, if we're honest with ourselves, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, if you're going into a negative every single month, you have to make changes, right? Like I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat this to furnish to you or your audience. Like, because that would be disingenuous. You have to make changes if you're in a hair is on fire type scenario, right? Yeah. And I think I think there are easy ways to to make those initial changes. And like you know, I don't know how how micro we want to get right here, but like something simple like like a cell phone. If you're spending a hundred dollars a month on your cell phone, that's crazy. I mean, it's just like I I I don't love how to stand on. How much do you spend on, on your cell phone? It's I like, spend a it's, I'm, my bill is one twenty one twenty a month. I have an iPhone. For one person, for one person. Yeah. Why? Why oh, is that crazy? Funny. I have an iPhone. Go to, Re- go to Republic Wireless. My uh, my family just moved. They all have iPhones. It's unlimited data. I think it's like it's twenty five thirty dollars a month. It's fantastic. They Do run on. Really? Yeah. It's Do amazing. You have an iPhone. Just, I don't want to give uh, up the iPhone. Three, uh, three of the four. I don't have an iPhone. The three Republic other, th- the three girls. By the way, this is not an ad for Republic Wireless, but yeah. I'm just genuinely curious. So okay. actually, hold on. I'm going to update that. We were at Republic Wireless. We just moved to Mint Mobile. So Mint Mobile, and it's fantastic. The service is amazing. So and furnish the reason why, like, hmm. I'm harping on even like a, something that seems small, is when you're pursuing financial independence. Every hundred dollars. So like, you might literally cut a hundred dollars from your cell phone just by moving to Mint Mobile, okay? Mm-hmm. That's actually $30,000 less you need in your financial in your net worth to reach financial independence. $30,000 wow. every $100 a month you cut out of your budget. So sure it sounds little, but it's actually big and that's kind of cool. And you know, we could do the math if you wanted, but Keep going. But, I like this cuz yeah. I know I don't like to sort of get into the weeds uh, of, you know, to cut this out or cut that out or, or not, and I'm not even saying cut, yeah. we're just saying like make a smarter choice. Yeah, smarter choice. Um, because, you know, there are also big things you could do. Like my neighbor at one point post-recession, her taxes had remained, her real estate taxes had remained where they were pre-2008. But we know during 2008, 9, 10, 11, home prices came down. And so the comps in her neighborhood sale prices were down. She was like, why am I paying the same property taxes? So she she went to court, which sounds like a big deal, but it wasn't, it was like a, a morning. And she came with her required documents to like, you needed like three home home sales in your neighborhood to, to sort of justify why your taxes should come down. And she did. She saved 5000 a year by asking for an adjustment to her real estate taxes based on where the market had been going. That stuff too. That's I mean, incredible. it's not a phone call. It's not a switch to Mint Mobile. But I mean, there's a lot of sort of these bigger, as Ramit Sethi says, like these $30,000 questions and not the $3 questions. Like when people want to know, when they spend all this time thinking about like high yield savings accounts, yes, important, but also are you investing too? You know, are you as as concerned about where you what the fees are on your mutual funds? Cause that is where I'd be more focused on than like my interest on my savings account. Yeah. And I mean, that to me is the most massive thing of all, right? Is actually right. The, the funny thing is people who think they're doing right. By and and I don't want to malign an entire industry of of financial advisors, but just the actual the assets under management con- concept, right? So yeah, yeah. 
it's crazy. It, again, people think they're doing well. They, they've reached, they've gotten to a point where they're saving, they're investing. And what do you do? You go to that professional down the road and you think they're going to help you. But realistically, essentially nobody can outperform the market over a 40 year period. It's just, it's almost impossible. Like the likelihood is probably one or 2%. And the chance of you finding that person is again, almost zero. So it's just the worst bet in the entire world, basically. And how we look at it is you control what you can control, which are fees when you invest. So for me, it's just, I buy low cost broad-based index funds like S&P 500 or total stock market. And the expenses on those are tiny, right? So it's like 0.04% or something like that. It's essentially zero. But just contrast that furnish with, okay, hey, I went to a financial advisor. They're going to charge me 1% of my assets in a fee every year. And then because they're going to try to prove their brilliance, they're going to put me in some expensive mutual fund, probably at another 1% expense ratio or thereabouts. And it all sounds tiny, right? Like, the, right. oh, it's just 1%. It's nothing. But when you look at a 2%, so let's say you're going to get an 8% market rate over a 40-year period annual, just hypothetically, of course, we don't know what the market's going to bring. But in a S&P 500 versus maybe if they can match the market, but then it's less 2%, right? So they're, you're only getting a 6% return with that financial advisor. You're going to lose, I, I've run the numbers on this so many times, and of course, it's, it's, it's case-specific, but you're going to lose about 40 to 50% of your net worth. Literally 40 to 50%. I pulled up an article the other day. It was like, okay, I would have had a $7 million net worth. And because I went to that financial advisor and who put me in this expensive, expensive mutual fund, I lost $3.5 million. I mean, Furnish, that's crazy. Right? Like, so one of the absolute best decisions you can do clearly is to invest. But for me, it's just go to Fidelity or Schwab or Vanguard or wherever and just find an S&P 500 or a total stock market ETF or mutual fund and just keep pumping money in there. Like you talk about the $30,000 questions. This is the three to $5 right. million dollar question. So you just have one fund. You don't diversify beyond that, although that's very diversified within there. Yeah. But like you don't have like also international or real estate or anything like that. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I personally don't, and of course, you know, we we can we can talk about this, and and, and I, I think people of good faith can argue over should we have some bonds, should we have whatever. Right. Like, I, I think clearly there's room at the margin, but I personally don't. I mean, I, like when I invest in the total U.S. stock market fund at Vanguard or Fidelity, I'm getting three to four thousand companies that have a hundred million plus American workers that have international operations all around the globe. Like, I mean, to me, that's about as diversified as I can ask for. Sure. Again, there's always the argument of, oh, it's cap weighted. So it's, you're really getting 20 tech firms in terms of 25% of your fund. I, I get those arguments, but I mean, man, if I can, if I can match that market at rock bottom fees and get the ingenuity of a hundred million American workers and people around the globe, like I'm pretty darn happy with that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, fast forward, we've been talking a lot about, well, I didn't, this actually, this part of the conversation I didn't expect, which I love, yeah, which same. is like Brad's best tips, <laughs> Brad's best money tips. Uh, but let's get to current day and talk a little bit about your post-pandemic philosophies around work 
and earning. As you were saying before we were live, you and your co-founder of Choose FI, you were like the the goal because I think you launched in what, 2018? It was like 2017. Yeah. 2017. And you've had astronomical growth. Your podcast is one of the top podcasts. You're like the go-to website for financial independence. And you're like, we're going to take on the kahunas of personal finance. We're going to, we're going to dominate the world, which I think is like, it's a respectable goal. I, at one point also wanted to become the czarina of personal finance. (laughs) I then had two children was like, I kind of want something else. You know, I don't know if this is like really what I, what, what's, what's the new philosophy that you have around your leadership at work and and why has it changed? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And it is so interesting that, that you and I have both gone through this same I mean, evolution. Well, it's like, it's inevitable. Right? Like you get a little bit yeah. of success and you're like, oh my God, I want more of this and more of this yeah. and more of this until you realize like actually more is not more. No, no, more is not more at all. And yeah, I mean, I think I, obviously so many negative things from the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. But I think one of the very positive things for a lot of people is it's been, it's been clarifying provided some level of clarity in your life that that maybe you never would have gotten and i think i think that came to us at chuzafi and and certainly to me personally but yeah i mean it, it's kind of hard to even put myself back in the shoes of 2019 but realistically october 2019 we win podcast of the year at the big fincon financial conference it, that whole conference was essentially chuzafi it was like this crazy wow. we were on top of the world and we thought that we could take on essentially anyone in terms of providing value to the country and the world for financial, personal finance and financial independence, certainly. And, and we had the appetite for it then. And I mean, honestly, Furnish, like, it's hard to put myself in those shoes these days because I just, I don't have the appetite for it anymore. I mean, I love helping people. That's why I'm still doing this probably 40 plus hours a week at this point when I've reached a point of financial independence and, and it's costing me, you know, it's obviously, it's costing me a good portion of my life on a weekly basis to do this. But I think, I think I'm doing good in the world. Like I, I, I genuinely believe that, that I'll look back some, some many, many decades from now and say like, man, that was, that was a pretty good life. You know, you, you did something good and, and it didn't have to be you were bigger than Dave Ramsey. Like it, it didn't have you, it, it didn't have to be right. Like, and, and I think we started down the path of, Oh, we're going to publish books. We're going to be a book publisher. We're going to have a, a foundation. We're going to have this big team. We're going to have all fill in the blank. It's so easy. And this to the audience, I think this to me transcends certainly just this myopic podcasting thing, but it's so easy to say yes in life, but man, saying no is a real skill and you have to zealously guard your time. And, and I think it's easy to say yes to things, especially when they're good, right? Or even better than good. But if it's not that great or that hell yeah, mm-hmm. I think you have to be really, really mindful of your time and your energy and what you'd actually rather be doing, frankly. So yeah, I mean, Furnish, I have, I have come full circle on this. I, I mean, basically at this point, the choose FI side of, you know, I, I really our, our business, it is, it's just me. It's me and I have uh, 
my, one of a, a friend named William, who's been our tech guy for years, <laughs> who was on our podcast years ago. And I love it. That's it. I mean, it's literally, there's no big team. There, there, were, there was a big team, but it's just the two of us now. Yeah, I it, that resonates so much with me. And I was just having a conversation yesterday with somebody who said, what I really appreciate about you most, Farnoosh, is that you're really honest about how you just like do it yourself. And it's not because I'm looking for high fives. And it's not because I'm looking for, I don't, it's not because I want to make my life harder. It's just because for me, what is harder is managing a team. For me, what is harder is <laughs> feeling responsible for other people's finances, livelihoods, happiness. I like to solopreneur it. And even if that means leaving a lot of money on the table, because I know that the cost to achieve that for me is not, is not worth it. I'm still with you. And that's okay. That's and the that's beautiful okay. thing. Like, it is okay. And it doesn't mean you're not ambitious. I used to conflate those two things. Yeah. If you don't aspire for more, you're not ambitious. Right. What? No, it's crazy. It's, it's so yeah, but it's so messed up. And I mean, for me, it's like, okay, again, it cuts to the essence. Again, for, for people looking f- at Choose FI, mm-hmm. what is the essence of what we produce? So, like, I don't think, honestly, virtually anybody who has followed us for years would know that really anything is different on the inside of our organization, to be perfectly honest, because the podcast comes out. Sure. Jonathan's not on it anymore, but Jonathan and I are still great friends, business partners, et cetera. But the podcast comes out. My newsletter comes out every Tuesday. We have our, our choose local groups around the world. And I'm actually trying, like one of the things I'm trying to do is make them better. Now I I'm spending dozens of hours now trying to, we, we've made it very hands-off and these are in real life meetups. So like we have a choose New York city group with a couple thousand people in this Facebook group and there are meetups and all these things. But like, I want to provide support. I've, I've let it be this like autonomous decentralized organization, but those, those local groups, those in real life connections, yeah. I think they matter more than anything. And that's where I want to spend my time. So that's, that is what I'm spending my time on, those three things, the podcast, the newsletter, and those local groups. And and again, I don't think anybody notices from the outside that, oh, Chooseify is different or smaller. Like, it still looks like the same thing and because we're still providing the value. And I think that again, okay, to you who's listening to this, like my story might not resonate to you because you're not, you're not creating a podcast or whatever, but, but I think it can. And I think oh, yeah. it does, right? Because-, because- what in your life? What's, what, what is clarifying in your life that, that you could cut out, that you can get rid of, that doesn't bring you energy? I think, right, Farnish? Like, that's how I look at it. It's like, what brings me energy and what doesn't? And being selective, being really deliberate about where you show up. And when I show up in certain ways, in certain places, like I don't do everything. I don't do all the TikTok and the threads whatever. I don't have a YouTube that I'm actively populating. you know. So there's a lot of other stuff that I'm not doing, but the what I do is very intentional and why I do it is a factor of a few important variables that are personal to me, but I have to feel like I see, I have to see these variables present before I step into something. One is there's a market viability for this. Like you're doing in-person gatherings, not just because it's fun. There's evidence that people want this. People are showing up. People are buying tickets. My book launch. I, this is my fourth book launch. The other three, I never charged for book events. But realizing that 
now more than ever, people want to gather. And psychologically, you need to charge people ahead of time because they're not going to show up left to their own volition, especially since the pandemic. We much prefer being in our pajamas at home. We will find all the excuses to not show up. So I charge ahead of time and boom, 80 people show up, whereas maybe 10 would show up. But so it's, and I like doing it. Like I, when you said that this is like for you, not just impactful work, but for your audience, but for you too. I mean, that's also the variable is like, will this spark joy? So is there a market viability? Will this spark joy? And can I keep at it? Because I don't like one and dones. I mean, sure. I do things on experiment basis. I will throw a dart, but I like stuff that endures. That to me is a measure of success. Because what is that really saying to me? Like you're good at it, you're consistent. There are results. There's an ROI. It's worth doing again. The podcast, my books, my speaking, this stuff is what I hope to do forever. And I've identified this stuff as like where I really want to show up because again, all those other variables are there. But yeah, no, I'm not doing TikTok. I'm not, I can't, I can't, I don't can't. But then there are those people, you know them, Brad, they're like, (laughs) always in all the ways. That's actually one person's... uh, Oh, oh my God. But he also runs like a 100 person firm. Yeah, I can't imagine. And, but I mean, in fairness, there is, and certainly I experienced this, you talk about fear with, with, with your book. Like I definitely experienced FOMO on some level of, oh, maybe I should be doing Twitter. Maybe I should be doing this. But like, but to your point, you eventually come around to, I'm just one person. There's yeah. only so much I can do. There's only so much I want to do. And, and that is right. okay. Right. Like that, that's the big takeaway is that is okay. You add value to your world and your life in the way that you see fit. And, and I think I've, I finally really become deeply settled with that, which is, which is wonderful. I'm thrilled for you. I'm glad we've reconnected. And I want everyone to go, if you aren't already uh, familiar with Brad and his work at Choose FI, please, I have all the links in our show notes. Brad Barrett, thank you so much for um, all this great, all this great information, your insights, your honesty, your candor. I'm, uh, I'm cheering you on. Thank you, Furnish. Always, always love to be here. Always love to chat with you. Thanks again for having me. Thanks to Brad for joining us. Learn more about him at choosefi.com. I'll see you back here on Wednesday and I hope your day is so money.